morning, good afternoon, good evening, legendary poddlers. This is Jack, your lore bender for this season with another table talk. This is essentially episode 2.5, where we break down some of the mechanics in the Avatar Legends system. Some of the mechanics that you should be hearing, as long as you're listening to our normal episodes, and we talk a bit more about them. This week, I have Jimmy yet again, uh, who, again, sadly cannot be in the actual play season, but you know what? I'm glad to have him around in any way, shape, or form we can get him. Say hi, Jimmy. What's happening, Jack? Not much, (laughs) just chilling here with you and Garrett. You may know him as she from the actual play. Oh, hey there. How you guys doing? Now, it's fun that Garrett did because his character is pretty much one of the only ones that's actually done anything with balance yet in the actual play. Oh, cool. Mm -hmm. He actually had it shift almost immediately, and he also used it for a roll immediately. And then shifted back. (laughs) And then shifted back. (laughs) Stayed safe. Keep it safe. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was very much in line with what my character would have done. What we're going to be doing is we're going to be talking about the balance mechanic, what it is, how it works, how it works for a GM, and how it works for players. We're also going to give our own personal thoughts about it, about whether or not there's you know if we like it, if we don't, what we change about it, and maybe how we how you can maybe use it in other systems or tweak it or pull something inspired by it for another system too, and maybe talk a little bit about what we're doing behind the scenes and how we may be influenced by something like this. Now, first and foremost, the balance system is an interesting mechanic. It's one of the, I would probably call the two key mechanics that make Avatar Legends unique among Powered by the Apocalypse systems. It is essentially a core conflict with your character. It's not so much a opposing forces like yin, like yin and yang exactly, like complete opposites. It's more just two things that are a little opposed that kind of pull your character in two different directions. Yeah, it's like two different things that, you know, for instance, when I played with Jack, you'll hear me talk about how I played Leonardo, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. And on one side of my balance, I had my brothers and me being a good brother to them as one part of my balance. And on the other side, I had being a good leader and following Master Splinter's teachings. So that was a struggle for me to be the cool brother or to be the strict leader brother. Now, bear in mind that particular balance bar, we homebrewed. A little bit. We were playing Teenage um, Mutant Ninja Turtles, so there was yeah, a lot we, we homebrewed a little bit. I think you were the icon. I was the icon. Or was yeah, it? that's correct. Yeah, you were the icon. The icon's balance bar is typically roll and freedom. Now, there is some freedom to interpret that how you want, so we interpreted it as roll is leadership, freedom is brothers. Yep, that's exactly how I played it. I, play, I think I played it very much how the icon wants you to play it anyhow, but, but relabeling yeah. it for our sense of play was a lot of fun yeah because that's something that came up a lot is how do i how how am i pulling this how am i what side am i going on what does that mean to me so we found it a little easier to keep the theme but rename it to something that makes more sense for your character if need be like she for example what were your what what is your balance in the uh, actual play yeah so in the actual play i'm a foundling which is someone who's of two heritages and so the balance for she is between unity of all heritages and all parts of basically kind of humanity versus his own personal heritage. So it's a little nebulous in how it's defined. I find that's generally the case when we're talking about these balances. It can be kind of nebulous the way it's described in the book. 
Now, granted, when you look at the book itself versus the playbook PDF, for those that actually have access to those already that were from the uh, Kickstarter, the actual book under the playbooks goes more into detail about what each side of the balance means and how it may affect your character. It kind of gives you an inspiration on how exactly the, you know, what that means and what's a character heavily in that balance means. Because here's one of the key things is, yes, your character is being pulled about it, but what does that mean mechanically? Okay, you have a center, starts at zero, and each side has, goes plus one, two, three, and the other side is plus one, two, three, with the opposing, you know, number underneath it as a negative. So, for example, with she, if she went one unity, he is negative one on heritage. Now, what that means is, if he is doing a role that he feels is aligned with sticking with the principle that he is adhering to, such as unity, he can substitute, and I believe you did do this, mm-hmm. um, you can spend a fatigue point, which is kind of like a resource slash hit point, mm-hmm. and roll with that number instead. So it's kind yep. of like you're acting with your principle. So even if you have like a stat of like a negative two towards a role, you instead could be like, well, I'm doing it with my principle. So I take the harmony and I, you know, you're more rolling with your, with your intention. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Rolling with your intention or emotion rather than rolling with say harmony, which for me might be a minus one because I didn't, I don't have a lot in that. So that's a big two point yeah. swing. And on, on 2d12, two points is big. It yeah. really can be, which is why Avatar doesn't really, and most Powered by the Apocalypse gaming games do not go beyond plus three for rolls. And even then they try to try to not stop you from getting plus three, but they make it not easy. The thing about the thing about getting a plus two or a plus three on your roll, your bottom is now five. So it's hard not to roll that seven that you need. It's yeah. it's really, really, really yeah. difficult to roll that that six or below at this point if you get a plus two. I believe if you have a plus three, you actually are at a I think it's like a seven point six percent to roll a six or below, which would be a narrative miss in regards to Power by the Apocalypse. Like, you could find a lot of fun charts for this stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's 93% chance to at least succeed with a complication. I like my odds with a plus three. But that's also something we I tried to keep in mind, like when we were doing the balances for babies and broadswords, how much percentage and what are the arrays of numbers that you can do with... Powered by the apocalypse and it's 2d6, you get more of a Gaussian distribution in the results, which can skew the plus three can really skew the top and the bottom quite a lot. A lot. It really can. Yeah. Having a, having a degree in statistics. (laughs) Oh God. Yeah. Now the interesting thing about going back to balance is now what happens if you go beyond that plus three? It's called lose your balance. Basically, what it means is that if you do, if something happens to you that shifts your balance up, and I'll go over what shifts your balance in a moment, you have the following narrative impact. You give in or submit to your opposition. You lose control of yourself in a destructive and harmful way, or you take an extreme action in line with the principle, then flee. And afterwards, when you've had some time to recover and recenter yourself, you actually shift your center. Remember how I said it starts at zero? It now, it now leans a little more towards that principle that you went overboard on. So that way, when you start a new day, you're starting at that new center. In Avatar The Last Airbender, the series, moments that 
really describe losing your balance are like, for spoilers, end of season two, when Zuko chose to side with his sister and actually attacked his uncle. Mm-hmm. Yep. That is that's a, that's that a, is a great example. Yeah, that is a great example. He actually went against just some core principles of himself because he really wanted that approval. Mm-hmm. Which in that case, you can say he was like the icon. Where was role exactly as the, as the prince versus freedom, which is what he was experiencing in Bossing Say. Yeah, and. If you watch like that, that like season finale, you can see Azula like picking at him to get yeah, that balance. Absolutely, up. yeah. So, how does that mechanic work, Jack, in in uh, Avatar ah, Legends? <laughs> just get into that um, <laughs> because it has a lot to do with your balance. It really does. Balance shifts come from multiple sources. Mostly, it comes from someone calling you out. Basically, they're telling you to live up to your principle, like Azula saying, you're the prince, act like it. Right. Zuko can choose to try to resist that, which, it's Zuko. He failed utterly. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Now, there's times where, you know, someone can call you out to act on a principle, or they can just say, oh, you are like this principle. So, you know, like, for example, like, you know, when Zuko does it, and she goes, good job, Zuzu. That right there, she's affirming that he did a good job. Yeah. That's a, that's even giving him yet another tick a into that balance if he accepts back. it. Yeah. Now, this can happen between players, NPCs. Now, even a GM, because I did this to she right yep. out the gate. I had him do a hard choice. He can choose to wither or fleeing. Either go to the docks near Ba Sing Se or... Go to the Foggy Bottom Swamp. And part of that whole thing was the idea of unity versus heritage. Now, what that, what, how I was interpreting that was that was by taking his group to Foggy Bottom Swamp, where he knows outsiders are normally not that welcome, he was doing unity. He's like, no, I can actually, I can work this out. I can actually bring in these people to my heritage and see how it works. Yeah. And that, But if he chose Ba Sing Se... He was protecting his heritage by saying, like, no, no, no outsiders. Yeah, and that's largely what I was looking at it as. And it's kind of the way that she would have done it. His outlook is more about everyone gets better by doing together. And, of course, their family, of course, they're going to want to help us. But you still ran the risk of either them not being accepted, which did happen a slight bit, a bit of an undertone there, as you found (laughs) out. But overall, it still worked out because she was amazing in regards to embracing his heritage, as you find throughout the episodes. His humming, the nursery, his singing, the nursery rhymes, his being basically respectful of the jungle made the jungle respect him. Well, it was more what I was thinking was as a teenager going into a strange place, what would make me feel better? Yeah. And it was kind of, well, of course, his mom would have sang, he would have heard nursery rhymes, and some of them would have been about the jungle. So that was kind of the the attitude that I was taking was, hmm, he's doing something to comfort himself and try to comfort his friends. But it kind of, it worked. Now, one of the key aspects to guide this sort of thing is intention. When you knew as a GM... Or even the other players. When you're doing something to affect someone's balance, 
you have to say your intention. You have to let your intention be known about what you're trying to do. The players have to make it be like, hey, look, my character says this. My intention is to push you towards this principle. Yeah. And as the GM, when I, when I do a hard choice, I have to let that intention be known, which I did let Garrett know of, mm-hmm. you know, I laid out the choices. I explained my reasoning and I said, if you choose this, this happens. If you choose this, that happens. That transparency is important because it's narrative and balance is so crucial to the character experience in Avatar. Now, I know Leo down there, Jimmy, has some experience with with us doing that. I did. Yeah, I absolutely did. There was there was a time, and I had a story arc in mind, so I knew that I was going to... We were playing very young turtles. I knew I wanted to lean toward my brothers in the beginning, sort of be immature, and let my balance go that way. But then it leaned a little too far pretty quickly, and I didn't get a lot. I think I had one or two times I got to use it over several sessions. But my character became angry, and, and it was all in reaction to what the, my character sheet and my abilities and all of my – what are they called? Are they conditions? They're not conditions. No, they're conditions. Are they? Okay, yeah, the conditions that I was taking and how you deal with those conditions, that, which all came kind of back to me trying to not get too far because right away I knew, I think you had me roll – before I ever got to use my bonus, I think I got into a pickle where you could have challenged it and said, well, this is a time when you'd have to use your leadership. And I was thinking that in game. And I was like, yeah. whoa, you may have had a comment when we were playing that kind of clued me into that, that I would get a minus two if that came up in these situations. Yeah, that's that's part of the thing that the mechanics aren't very sure about because you get the, the plus – but there's nothing really in the mechanics that say when that negative, the opposite side comes into play. Like if you are acting against that principle, like there's no mechanic link to that. That's interesting. I, which which is funny because I think I know exactly what moment you're talking about, and I was thinking that's why I was talking to you. I'm like that really seemed like I should have done the negative, but there's nothing in the mechanics to tell me to do that. The only time that negative comes into play is if someone's calling on you to act in that principle that you are not aligned with. For example, if you, you know Leo was heavy on the roll and one of his bros is like, dude, be a bro, help me out here. That bro would have to roll with mm-hmm. Leo's, because you're rolling with, with the person who you're calling out, you're rolling with their principle. Right, yeah, which I found really interesting as we were playing when that happened. I was like, oh, that in a strange way, it, it kind of feels right. Yeah. It's it's bizarre. It's a bizarre mechanic indeed. So if they're calling on him to be a bro, they'd be like, hey. And they would roll with the minus whatever his his bro is because he's being way too authoritative. That's the only time it really comes up as mechanics wise. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I was concerned about it when you pointed out that there was a negative there. So I, I wanted to go ahead and get rid of my anger and try to work back towards center and regain a little balance and try to stick in that plus one range or zero, like where, where it sounds like she was when Garrett was playing. I think it's also something that as the game master, you could work it where maybe antagonistic NPCs start using your balance against you. That is part of the intention. One of the great things about balance is that it actually is sort of a guide for the GM because it kind of says like, look, these players, these characters have agreed 
that this is what their balance is. This is what their key problem is. You now know as the GM ahead of time to give them choices and situations involving these, such as right away, I knew to hit she with a conflict regarding his heritage and, un- and unity. I knew. I'm like, okay. I, I looked at the map. Foggy Bottom was right there. And I'm like, this has got to be a good moment for this. Mm-hmm. And that's why you you listeners will find during the actual play, a little bit of a insider secret. Spoiler. A little bit of a, well, I'm going to say spoiler. A little bit of, you know, pulling back the curtain. Every few, every like little arc that we're doing is geared with someone's balance in mind. Now, mm-hmm. keep in mind, I'm going to obviously poke at everyone's balances, no matter, you know, whenever it applies. But I'm gearing towards someone's balance primarily. Think of it like you're watching the show. And let's say you're watching the episode where Katara steals the scrolls from the pirates. That's a Katara episode. That's a little arc for Katara about her balance, which God knows what her balance is. I think she's like the hardest character to actually determine what her playbook is. Uh, Yeah, that's probably true. It really is. It could be a couple different ones. And one thing I will, and this is something I learned from the Turtle game, is that, and I guess this is more leaning towards our own personal thoughts now, because I think we've definitely explained that. My personal thought is that it's something that, again, it's a core mechanic, but it's not one that you want to invoke lightly both as the player and the GM. Because like Jimmy said with Leo, it got kind of harsh and kind of really created an awkward air. And it wasn't, it wasn't anything on Jimmy's fault. Jimmy was playing the system. He was trying to push buttons. You know, that's what you do when you're trying to figure out a system. But this game is a narrative game. So if you poke the buttons a lot in the narrative, the narrative reflects that. I think that you should talk about what your intention is. So oh, and yeah. we were in mm-hmm. sort of in this like role-playing mode. And it, it was probably like 30 minutes or, or more where we just yeah. just straight up role-playing. And then I realized, you know, okay, I'm this is my time to go ahead and get rid of anger, which is take it out on someone. You can yell at somebody or act cross towards someone and it will remove your anger because it satisfies you. And I said, that's great. This is a perfect time to do it. We've disagreed on something i'm gonna act angry and then we just kept on role-playing and i should have said at that time because i am invoking the system i think it would have been best to say i i'm trying to get rid of my anger so i'm gonna go ahead and and then i think it would have been taken differently so i think that's a very important thing to do and if you play a lot of action-based games or strategy-based games where you can get locked up in role-play and the role-play doesn't affect the dice or your character at all those type of games are far different than this when you're role-playing yeah a lot of times you're invoking the system and you need to call that to the attention of everyone that you are invoking the system and why you're doing it and stating your intention because it can take i believe it'll take that tense moment and really dissolve it and allow the role play to happen yeah it gives it more meaning exactly yeah that's part of the the difficulty, though, of where the mechanics get in the way of actual role play, because when you perhaps say, hey, game master, I'm going to vent here and I'm going to blow off some anger that changes in some ways the way the other players react to your angry display. That's very true. You have a good point. But here's the thing that I'm trying to learn. Like, bear in mind, I've been playing Power by the Apocalypse games for quite a while now. And this one's the most social one that I've done. Oh, yeah. 
part of the key thing is that a lot of times the GM needs to keep a cool head and not mm-hmm. get absorbed. Yeah. But the, so when the players are role playing out, the players, yeah, it's good for them to say their intentions, but it's up to the GM to be like, hey, you sound like you're venting. And that's a key thing, because part of the thing with Powered by the Apocalypse as a whole is the players are just supposed to do what they want to say. They, you know, say what their character wants to do. They do what they want to do. And then it's up to the GM to say, OK, you're doing this move. Oh, this sounds like this. Yeah. Are, are you doing this? And so that was part of the thing that happened with, you know, Jimmy's situation involving, you know, when we got cat. Our checks and balances didn't work. I got caught up, and that was one of the key problems. If I, as the GM, did not get caught up as I did, because it was a it was a heated thing, I could have steered things and been like, "Hey, uh, Leonardo, you sound like you're venting or trying to plead with an NPC. Roll to plead, uh-huh. you know, stuff like that." I could have easily have done that, which would have helped the situation. Yeah, I do think, though, it's good to have that checks and balances. You know, it's the GM and the player. And the thing about Powered by the Apocalypse, I've now played several Powered games. Well, not several. I'll say three. I've played three, (laughs) which feels like several. But I I really get it because it's, it's how I've played a lot of other games, you know. And I was a vampire player in the past where we played a very narrative version of Vampire the Masquerade. And I've played Cult, which is also an extremely narrative game from the 90s. And oh, yeah. th- those games were a lot more fun for me as a player. I like those more narrative-driven games. So that like Powered by the Apocalypse feels like home and it gives a lot more depth to the story, to mechanically so. So yeah. it gives you, you don't have to use these things every time, obviously. You don't have to use the mechanics every time, but there are times when it becomes pertinent where it's like, you know, like Jack said, it sounds like you're venting here. Do you want to? And, and a lot of times the player is definitely going to say yes. Oh, definitely. Like, actually, I believe we had just recorded the second episode of the actual play. And there was a moment near the end where I think there might have been a little confusion about intention with she and Mayu getting close to the Fire Nation troops, where the, the topic of intention came up, where I asked Mayu to roll for Push Your Luck. She didn't quite understand why. And I, and I laid out the intention. I'm like, you're trying to hold back from out of being out of the scent of the Quasicle, and you're letting Doe go forward. This is a risky move. Yeah. But she was like, oh, yeah, well, we're going to cover ourselves in mud and stuff like that. I'm like, okay, that's fine. But this is the initial intention. Yeah. So that, again, that's where intention needs to be clear. I probably, if I caught her when she first mentioned it, which I should have before Doe even walked over, it would have, the communication would have been better. That's the thing. Like, it is a very big balancing act for the GM. And it's a very different demand set on a game master than a lot of other role-playing games, even other narrative style games, I feel, because you've got to anticipate what people are doing and what their intentions are. And it takes a little bit of getting used to what, what players are going to do and what their characters and how their characters will react to things. I agree. A hundred percent. And balance plays into that so hard. I Well, like, when you gave the original choice for do we go towards the foggy swamp or do we go towards Omashu, I could have easily said, let's go towards Omashu. 
Yeah. And we would have had a very different game if we had we gone to Omachu. <laughs> I, I don't plan much of anything because this is a system where you really shouldn't. Yeah. Because a tiny little roll means a big difference. The role where Tinwa failed to impress some guys at the party. Well, I didn't have her so much fail to impress them. I mean, yeah, really kind of didn't. But that meant to me, I'm like, okay, let's have some narrative fun here. Let's have the Fire Nation troops actually have caught the scent and be closer. And I'm like, okay, yeah. and I'll actually, and in my head at that time, like, you might have even heard a little pause. That was me putting together, okay, I'll use the hunt. And I'll even say during the hunt, oh, that's bring you closer down to where you guys came from. I caught that and I was like, uh-oh, she rolled terrible. <laughs> oh, no, we're either going to get totally kicked out of the camp and be on our own, or there are a number of things that could have really gone wrong there. Yeah. Now, bear in mind, even during episode two, there are probably a moment or two where I could have called someone out on balance. But I find but it's very hard to like, that's the hardest mechanic for me to remember to pull from yeah. because it's extremely I'm not going to say subjective but it kind of is no I think you're accurate calling it subjective because it's kind of subjective to both the players and the game master yeah because I've had it during the turtle session where I'm like oh that sounds like you're calling them out and the, you know the two players are like nah not really I'm just joshing you and so but at the same time you need to you know GM needs to be like okay if you guys don't feel like it is then okay or be able to say no I don't think you realize what you're doing. Roll. But that's that's the problem, though, is that if the player yeah. affected doesn't feel like it is, then you kind of have to leave it alone yeah. because at that point you're forcing a narrative on the player. Yeah, especially True. if it's two players involved, you know, yeah. and they say, no, it doesn't feel like it. and No, I don't intend that. Then who are you to say? Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the key things that is like you can't really force much in this. And again, balance is like the number one, like tiptoe you gotta play like a really delicate dance with balance and that's one of the things that i find with it is again it's a delicate dance like it's funny like the combat which we'll get to maybe next episode who knows is extremely intricate and you guys will hear why but i feel like balance is way more intricate in regards to delivery yeah as far as role playing and how that relates to your character she balances everything and it's it's beautifully done. It's a bit clunky at times. And I think if everybody involved is able to, you know, state their intentions and be willing to communicate in between some of the role play, I think it's I think it's wonderful. I do. But it's a different thing than combat, like wholly, which I th yeah. I think a lot of players might be a little off with it. Because it is a whole different system. There were other games in the 80s and 90s that failed because they didn't have a very uniform system. And it was too bad. They were great games, you know, but they had like three systems wrapped up in one. And Garrett probably knows some of the games I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's a dinosaur, too. Played some of these dinosaur games. Hey, I played, I started with Palladium in the mid 90s. Do I get, do I earn dinosaur status? It's Here. an ancient game. <laughs> <laughs>
Now, the thing with balance, and this is where it gets awkward for from my perspective as the GM, is that I've seen some players try to, and I'm not saying anyone in particular, not, but you have to be careful of not letting the balance 100% define your actions. Like, like have it be like a big driving thing towards all your motivation. And the book, and the book is awkward about that because it kind of almost, it, it's like, the book doesn't seem to make up its mind too much on like, oh yeah, no, this is like a key thing for your character. No, wait, it's not. Don't, don't let it control you. And it makes, it can't make up its mind. <laughs> I feel, I did feel it kind of hemmed and hawed about how balance should be done. Yeah. And I think it's one thing, if the character if you as a player really want to make that balance your focus, you could pick a side and drive, drive, drive it. But you've got to try really hard to drive that focus. If a player, yeah. a, if a player does that and I'm the GM, I'm I'm going to make sure that they feel the sting of the, yeah. the drawback of yeah. it. Yeah. And so it's that that's where the where I think for for me as a GM where it would be a little uncomfortable to play. Yeah, and that's one of the things I've been noticing with hearing people create characters is they tend to already have a side their character prefers a lot of times. And I've been noticing that a lot. And so it's kind of like, okay, I guess me as the GM, I need to make sure that if I give them situations, I better make that other side that they're not that keen into very tempting. Yeah. But not overbearing. Like they have to pick that. Or how to also hold them accountable for trying to keep yes. a balance. Because the game also rewards you for keeping a balance at the end of the session. Now, this is where also I get, I feel like the system is a little odd in regards to like hemming and hauling. Because it's like, mm -hmm. you want to be balanced. You want to stay at center. You want to be balanced. And the two mechanics that kick in when you're at zero is one, at the end of the, at the, end of the session, you get a question that asks if you stayed at center. If you did. You get a growth, which is basically an EXP mark. The second mechanic is, which we went over a little bit at the end of session two, was the uh, level up move, the moment of balance, which is kind of like a narrative, big narrative move where you have to be at center. Now, here's the thing, though, and here's why I say it's like a hem hall, though, because it wants you to be at center. Center is zero by default. It is zero. But doesn't it sound really nice to have that plus two? plus one, plus three available to you. I'm not going to lie, Jack. It's very attractive. It's extremely attractive. Wasn't there something you could buy with experience that shifts your, your center? Yes, you can shift your center. Um, so, so then if you would you... shift your center to like a plus one. It might make it easier for you to keep playing into that and eventually keep accumulating and play harder and harder towards that. The thing is, though, by doing that, though, you're also putting yourself really close to losing your balance a lot. Yeah. So that's where it's like a really big balancing act. Yeah. And it's hard to keep track of for the players and the GMs. So that's and also, again, so it's kind of awkward. And also, again, I find players tend to be choosy about what side they want to be on. To me, it almost feels like it should be more like and I guess this is more we're going to talk about more like how we would either rework it or stuff like that is I honestly would kind of make it one sided. I don't I don't feel like it needs the two sides. I feel like you should have a conflict. Yes. But obviously, since, again, I'm noting most players tend to pick a side anyway. Yeah. It's the idea of just how far are you going to go? 
rather than that balancing act. Because I notice most players seem to go to the other side that they aren't thinking about too much, only when it mechanically is like, okay, I'm going a little too far, you know. I guess I can see it both ways, where you do want some kind of conflict in the character, and just having a single track, you have to come up with a mechanism for why you wouldn't just keep progressing all the way. More than just you lose your balance. Yeah, that's that's the odd thing about that. It's interesting you say that because this game very much influenced me in two big ways. And balance, the balance track was one of them. I found it very attractive as a player. Mm -hmm. Even in spite, I do think that it's a bit problematic and not well, maybe well enough to find an avatar where it's easy to have it not feel good or to get carried away. I have been definitely influenced by balance in what I am working on for the next generation of the system for even footing games. And we have something called the struggle, which is an internal struggle for the, the character. And in the version that I'm playing right now, you play a gangster. So you have a vice on one side and it might be anger or aggression for your character. You get to choose from a list of vices. And you have virtue mm -hmm. on the other side, which is your character being at their best and being morally acceptable. And then you have an emotional stat in which you accelerate in when you're at your moral best. So I leave that up to the players. They can kind of jerk around in there and use their vice to their advantage to gain emotional hit points back or wounds. So that mm -hmm. I've left this balancing act solely on the player and the version of it I have for for us to use and play with in the future yeah. but it's all up to you I, the gm doesn't have to do much they i can say hey you know it's there do you want to use it and i have done that in the past but it's ultimately ultimately up to the player yeah and i like the way you're doing it for one thing is that you kind of turned it more into like a moral struggle more than anything and i like that yeah. a lot because especially with like the whole gangster thing which bear in mind the gangster that's a play test setting that's not exactly like official like mm -hmm. hey this is what our next game's gonna be it's I, not official. Yeah, the gangster setting is a setting where I can use all of the mechanics we might use in the future. And I'm playing them in this kind of modern setting that's sort of pre-written for me. And it's it's been really fun. And I get to push all of the buttons in this system. So that's why it's in that rather than one of one of our systems that we'll be doing moving forward, one of our games. Now, now I'm just curious, did you classify those emotional things as being based on fears, anger, or shame? Yes. Good. Yes. So when you so you have two things, you have two driving factors that happen that affect you in those ways. One is your struggle within. So you have that virtue and vice. The other way is when you take wounds, you have a key factor about your personality that is you at your worst. So for some yeah. characters, they feel shame that they've been mentally wounded or emotionally wounded. So there, that's what informs your roleplay at that point is if you're a shame driven character, if that's your core, then that's how those emotional wounds, wounds will look on you. Yeah. So that, that is just there as a role playing guide in the system that I've created. It's not. The Bible, it's not 100% how you have to be, but it is there to inform your decision-making process as you take emotional or mental wounds. I think we all know what physical wounds look like. Yeah. If I get punched in the stomach, it's going to look very similar to mm -hmm. Jack getting punched in the stomach. 
you know, it's going to hurt in the same way. Whereas <laughs> we take emotional wounds and mental wounds very differently and they heal very differently as well. Yeah. And I think that's part of the challenge of what we're trying to do with more psychological based, but also narrative based system. And how do you work out some of those balances as a character and those moral dilemmas? And how do you work mechanics towards those? Exactly. And I like the way you're doing it over, honestly, Avatar. Because one thing you're doing is heavily in personality and how your character perceives things. Avatar is kind of more of a narrative balance. Like, again, unity versus heritage. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, yeah, it's kind of personality, but it's also a lot about a, about an external thing. A, a yeah. very specific topic. And your relationship to that thing. Yeah. Yeah, I do feel that a lot of the Avatar Legends, you're right, It gets it's a very external and narrative form where we're trying to get that much more first-person perspective yeah. attitude about it. And we're, what I kind of hope is that that will aid players in understanding how they should be acting as characters. Because with Avatar Legends, you still have to think a little bit about, all right, how should my character be reacting in these conditions based off of my backstory? Yeah, and you have a lot of times in role-playing games, you know, tabletop games, I can't tell you the number of times where I'm like, okay, I'm going to go in, this character's going to be serious, they're going to be contemplative, you know, they're this is going to be their their main gripe. And then I play them and suddenly they're like, you know, like kind of a snide jokester mm-hmm. <laughs> where it just kind of naturally comes out that way. And so it's that's kind of the thing with the avatar system. It's like by picking a playbook, you're marrying to that idea where if you're not going into that idea, it feels weird. And I think that's kind of the, the struggle like Lisa had with picking yes. her playbooks, because this is a very and admittedly. She even told us she's never really played a lot of tabletop role-playing games. And so the idea of the playbook was a very foreign idea to, and she wasn't sure how it should be guiding her play. And she didn't want to be bound by something either. Yeah. And you are being bound. Like you are filling a, an archetype essentially. Lisa. And not just like, not just a archetype, like I'm the healer, I'm the tank, you know, nothing like that. It's. No, I'm marrying into this archetype that I am the foundling. I have two heritages. I am the adamant. I have to. I have a struggle with whether or not to be really go getter or to restrain. Which I mean, you know, how, how do you play that to really and really show that? Like you really kind of have to like really go out of your way sometimes. Yeah, and that's kind of the concept I I found with the playbooks. It's more of a you're buying into sort of buying into an archetype. Yeah. And you're kind of buying into, well, this is the type of character I want to play. Which in some games works great. Like the other one written by uh, the same writer for Avatar, Masks. Yeah, It has playbooks, but you're more marrying into an origin, or rather how you interpret your powers, which is a lot more vague and a lot more internal. Yeah. So that way you're, you're marrying more into like a concept, not so much into a mindset. Like mm-hmm. you're... Which the mindset is where you're marrying into Avatar. And again, it's sort of like the thing with me being a GM and Avatar so far is there's so many times where I think back on the session that I just did and I'm like, oh, I should have shifted their balance. Oh, I could have that 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 could have been. Oh, oh, wait. Oh, 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 they were they were doing their. Oh, (laughs) I'm having (laughs) the same kind of difficulties as I run the City of Demons, which is what we call the 
the playtest version of the potential system. And it's just, yeah. it's far different because this isn't, there's no book for this game. Uh, there's the, the 42 page document I've created on how to play, but even that, it's not very, it's not complete. That's for sure. So, <laughs> well, I mean, and it's going to be a very different approach to game mastering than a lot of other games. Also, very different. Very different. Yeah. Like, I can't wait. I can't wait to GM this play test. Like, I can't wait to get my hands, you know, get my hands dirty in it and then, then roll around in it and GM it. Cause it sounds like my type of thing. I think you're going to um, like I, it. Yeah. I mean, I can't wait to also do a, the season eventually for this system. Um, Coming soon. Eventually. To a well, podcast near you. <laughs> this whole topic has been about balance. And balance, again, is one of the key aspects to this game through and through. And it's something where it's one of the more unique things about it, even as a role-playing game as a whole, not just by, by Power of the Apocalypse. It guides the players. It guides the GM. The main thing is you have to respect it, I think, is one of the key things. It's a mechanic you actually have to respect and handle with care. It's a beast. It is a bit of a beast. It's, 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 a, it's an animal where you're like, okay, if I pet it really well... And I pet it at just the right spot. Okay, it's working great. It's working great. Okay, no, no, no. Oh, bad spot, bad spot. Oh, it's growling. <laughs> yeah. And that's, you know, that's also one thing I'm trying to do with the, the actual play podcast is I'm, believe me, things are going to get tense, especially next episode. But I'm not doing it like how I was doing Turtles, where it's very heavy on conflict. Yeah, there doesn't need to be a lot of conflict because this game is going to make it come up for you. Yeah. It really will. Just playing your character. And that's one of the key things why I think I mentioned last Table Talk was playing the system out of setting, I do not advise it. No. I, I do not. Two thumbs down. Yeah. Play Avatar yeah. as Avatar. Unless you know 100%, like, you can really keep your players on the mindset. that That's something like the key, and I brought it up during Session Zero, and I've mentioned it even last Table Talk. The player, the book literally says, you are not a killer. You are not mm -hmm. a, th you're not a bad person. You are friendly towards each other. And they are laying those ground rules down because they know the balance system can go sour. Yeah. All it would really take is two people deciding they're going to antagonize each other. And you could have a party just go way off the rails really fast. It takes one person to decide they're going to call yeah. somebody out who doesn't want to be called out. It's just like real life oh, yeah. in that way. Yeah, which <laughs> is good. Good and bad. What I normally, what I would really recommend is if you are playing this and you get the sense that something's going awry and you're the GM or even a player and your GM's not doing anything, you need to stop it. You need to stop everything. Ask people their intentions. Yeah, try to remember that. Try to remember Work it out. to declare your intentions, ask for what their intention is. You're allowed to do that. You're encouraged to do that by me. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Be like, what is your goal? What are you trying to do? Or also good advice just for role playing in general. It is, I think. Oh, yeah. There's lessons that you can take easily from what we're learning off of Avatar and from our own systems and apply that to other systems. Table talk. Some player, some people really shun it, but I, I've always kind of believed that, hey, being able to hold your hand up over your chest and say, hey, I'm out of character right now, let's talk about something serious, is important to a healthy tabletop community. 
Oh, 100%. And a, a healthy group. Because I've been in plenty of groups where someone did something in character against someone else, and they took it personally, and it became vendettas, and then they oh, started God. hating each other outside, and then it it turned south really fast. Here's the thing. This isn't even a conversation if you've been playing with your group for 20 years. It doesn't matter what game you right. play. It won't matter. But when you play with a lot of new people, I play with different people all the time. I'm always in different groups. I'm playing with all different kinds of players. As the lead playtester for even footing games, mm -hmm. I play with a ton of people. And so it's really important that they understand when you're kidding. It's really important that they understand when it's the character that's angry. It's really important that they understand that this is just a game. Because sometimes these are new players too that don't know when you know somebody starts yelling that this isn't they're acting. Yeah. You know, this is. Yeah. And, and that's something like when I try to play test, because I've done groups with small kids. Like we played, I played Babies and Broadswords two weeks ago with like a seven-year-old and a 10-year-old. And we had to go through, look, you are characters here. What we're saying is just our characters. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you are angry with your brother. Do you understand this? <laughs> Which is important. And that's part of the thing that I'm I'm a little weirded out with Avatar on this. Because, again, the mechanics play into kind of poking at each other. Mm -hmm. The mechanics are there. It's not just, oh, hey, no, we're just playing our characters. No, the you're playing the mechanics, too. Yeah. And that's the weird thing for me because Avatar was a huge, successful Kickstarter. It is going to be a lot of people's first introduction to Power by the Apocalypse. And a lot of people's introduction to tabletop as a whole. And yeah. I don't feel like it's a good one to start with. It is definitely, in my opinion, for advanced role players. A hundred percent. Really, That's cool kind of what I would recommend, too. Even the, from what I was reading through some of the concepts of explaining how you do bending and a lot of what you can do with techniques, there's a lot of open-endedness to it. And that yeah. can lend to a lot of abuse by people who want to power play the system. <laughs> kind of like there are some other, there are other games that left very open-ended magic systems that I personally did not care for. I loved the concept and bought all the books, loved reading the lore, but the games were nigh unplayable because it was like Play-Doh. And that's one of the funny things is one of my favorite systems is City of Mist, where... Yeah, you can basically, as long as it makes narrative sense for you to do it, you can do it. The important thing there is to have a clear understanding with your GM and the other players of what your character can do. Yeah, it's important in narrative games to, to be on the same page as your group. You know, in, a, in an action or strategy action-based game, playing as a team is, is a good focus because it means you'll do well in battle, whereas playing in a narrative game like playing as a team means that we're going to tell the better story and be able to progress more interesting ideas forward yeah and balance yeah. is definitely supposed to be one of those tools to help aid in that and it can yeah it can and that's where i feel like our group in the actual play is more inclined to use the balance as a role play tool yeah than to poke and tear each other apart which i mean i kind of you listeners at home didn't get to hear the conversation I had with them before playing. I'm like, look, guys, you need to respect this. 
Trust me, I did not respect it when I first played it because I didn't know that I was supposed to respect it. <laughs> I have learned from experience. Well, and I think we we as a group and well, part of anyway. even footing and even as part of even footing games, we've all heard your stories about how this can go off the rails and go really bad. Yeah, it can. It can doesn't mean it is. It again, right. I am group. not at all saying that this is a bad system. It's a good system for Avatar with a group that understands Avatar. That understands mm-hmm. the universe, understands the themes that Avatar is playing at, understands the idea of friendship, and a group that is able to talk well together. Yeah. And Hopefully, to focus on telling a good story. I would say if it's your normal group, it'll probably go over pretty well. It'll be different than the game you've played, unless you're a big time power by the apocalypse player, which I think a lot of people are are coming to the light, are starting to see power by yeah. the apocalypse. I mean, we have a couple of really big success stories like City of Mist out there. Yep. And I mean, they're just beautiful games and I love the narrative, the narrative style of play. I, re- I really do. One time I'd love to ro- to GM City of Mist for you guys. Oh, I would love that so much. <laughs> <laughs> that Turtles game that we keep talking about, we keep referencing is still happening, but we shifted away from Avatar and went to City of Mist. Because we just found it wasn't like it was hitting a lot of the notes correctly, but for the theme of the narrative, it wasn't fitting. Because that's one thing with Powered by the Apocalypse games. They all have like generic moves like and they have narrative. The moves have narrative triggers that dictates the type of theme you're going with, the type of setting, the type of story you're trying to tell. And Avatar is a very social one in regards Mm -hmm. to the basic moves. And you need to understand that. Like City of Mist is all about investigation. So that's why a lot of the basic moves are about investigation and stuff like that. S- Masks, one of my, 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 se- my second favorite Power by the Apocalypse game. That is about discovering your powers as a teenage superhero and your understanding of who you are as a superhero. So a lot of the basic moves are about that sort of thing. And so again, like, and I'll throw one more in. Monster of the Week. Monster of the Week is about investigating and finding monsters and subduing them or doing whatever you can to take them down. That's why all the moves are basically Mm monster-based. Even the general investigation move is about monsters. So it's the idea of you need to understand that going into these games. Understand that Avatar is emulating the cartoon 100%. Yes. Mm -hmm. It does a great job of it. And that's where it it really doesn't apply towards Turtles as well, because Turtles, if you watch, really wasn't as much about social interaction as it was doing some investigation, doing some combat. Yeah. Yep. There weren't enough ninjutsu moves. There weren't enough investigation type moves. Jack's added some downtime stuff that's just brilliant. Well, thank you. Now, granted, when we were playing Avatar, I did start to bring in moves from other Powered by the Apocalypse systems, because that's one of the great things about Powered by the Apocalypse. If the system follows by the Powered by the Apocalypse, you can actually bring in moves and translate them extremely easily to fit your narrative and your setting and your story. It, it's very easy. Like, I did a Monster of the Week campaign once. I found that, okay, they're investigating a lot more than just the monsters. I took out the investigation move from Monster of the Week and then put in the one from City of Mist because it was more open-ended. Yeah. It worked out easily. That's That campaign also ended up being converted to City of Mist in the long run, if that says <laughs> something. It says Jack really likes City of Mist. Well, okay, it also... It doesn't say that. <laughs> I think it says something about more maybe about the type of game Jack likes to play and run. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Just like with my characters, how I mentioned, hey, I start off thinking my character is this, but they end up being that. That happens sometimes in my campaigns, too. All games lead to City of Mists. <laughs> <laughs> Only because City of Mist is, to me, the most open. Yeah, it is very open. It's it's a really it interesting thing. When, when, when you take out the balance between Logos and Mythos, it's extremely open. And I tend yeah. to, as a GM, be very heavy on poking at the player's what's important to them, which City of Mist is good at. Anyway, this is not a talk about City of Mist. Yeah, yeah we are way <laughs> off top. To sum it all up, it is a very interesting mechanic. It definitely leads heavy towards character development, role play, telling a story, and actually having that story interact with the other characters. Main takeaways, mm-hmm. respect it. And understand as a table and GMs when it goes too far and being able to sit down and talk about it, just like your characters. It's like a lot of other tools in your toolbox. You might want more cowbell, but eventually too much cowbell is still too much cowbell. Blasphemy. You're, we're not having Garrett back on, on the rules talk anymore. You're done. Here, let me grab my cowbell then. Perfect. Well, you okay, could go, save right, yourself. Okay, good okay. save. Good save. Redeemed. Redeemed. Some redemption there. But I think that pretty much wraps us up. Thank you all, Legendary Poddlers, for joining us. We hope you continue to listen to our podcast, not only the actual play, but also these table talks. You'll find next. I'm predicting next topic might be about throwing some fists and throwing some fire, (laughs) air, earth, and water. Maybe. That might be the next topic. Spoiler alert. We'll see how the next episode goes. If we lean into it or not. <laughs> if you lean into it or not. I'm a, I'm a very open GM. If I set up a fight and you find a way to get around it, oh, please do. I'll Not a problem. But again, thank you all for joining us. So this is Jack, your lorebender, saying see you later. 